Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. When things get tough, get difficult in life, what do you do? When crisis hits, what's your first response? Now, I don't know about you, when the first lockdown came, there was a, the weather was nice, everybody kind of, who was able to enjoy it, enjoyed it a bit, but then after a while, they got a bit wearing, didn't they? And how did you cope when those times got a bit darker? Did you run to Netflix For example, did you run to takeaways? Did you run to your friends, even if only on Zoom? Uh, How did you deal with the crisis? And really, everyone has different stories to tell when uh, crisis, when pressure comes at us. So good friends of mine, uh, they would hyper-function. So constant activity was their way of dealing with the prices. You know, craft projects all over the place, TikTok channels coming up everywhere with new dance moves, just hyper-function to get themselves through the crisis. Other friends would go down the rabbit hole of news, learning everything that they could, maybe about the crisis that was happening um, to deal with it. Some people ran to God. Some people ran away from God. Crisis... Pressure provokes reaction within us. Whether we want it to or not, it does. When pressure comes at us, actually it reveals a little bit of who we are and where we are. When pressure comes at us, our first response can be very telling, can't it? When we react, those reactions tell us a great deal. A good friend of mine, over many years, had extreme pressure with his kids, particularly when they were teenagers, years of really very profound difficulty. And uh, he coped with it over years by diligently going to God. And it wasn't an easy decision. It took a real toll on him, took a great toll on his family life, on his mental health, lots of things. But he kept seeking God all the way through this time. Another friend of mine faced a very similar situation, actually, and he coped. His reaction was to walk away from God. Actually, he changed his belief system to make his life simpler. Pressure reveals something about us. And it can come in very, very simple moments, can't it? I I remember when my kids were were very little um, and work was tiring and Vicky was doing shift work at the time. Uh, I discovered in those moments of pressure that my temper was shorter than it should have been. Pressure revealed something about me, doesn't it? Reveals where we are with God as well. And today we're going to look at the pressure that Elijah and the widow in Sidon experienced and how they dealt with that pressure, what it revealed about them. And it is some quite extreme situation that they face. So before we read that passage, we're going to do a little bit of just background, just to remember where we are uh, in the story of Israel. And at this moment, the king of Israel is a gentleman called Ahab. And when he became king, it says in the book of 1 Kings, he did evil in the sight of the lords more than any who were before him. So he was a bad king, so bad he was worse than all the others so far. And the main issue seems to be that he began to worship 
a god called Baal. He built an altar to this god. He built his life around this god. He tried to turn Israel towards this god. And in doing so, turned his back on the living gods, the God of Israel, the God that had brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, that had made them his people, that had a temple built for him in Jerusalem. Actually, Ahab turned his back on that God and decided to worship a dead God. And this Baal is supposed to provide life. That was what he was known for, life and and rain for the crops and, and growth and prosperity and all of those things. And the irony was that as soon as Ahab started to worship this god Baal, actually God said, well, you're going to have a drought. And so they were in a drought. And Elijah, he stands up to King Ahab. So this is when we meet Elijah the prophets. And he actually, he prophesies, look, this drought is going to come upon you. And it does. And then we see actually Elijah is provided for by God. So Elijah flees on God's instruction and God provides for him food and water in a drought. He drinks from a stream and ravens bring him bread and meat. It's like the, the ancient version of Uber Eats, isn't it? Ravens brought him bread and meats. And it was supernatural provision from God, an unusual situation from the living God. Elijah then is sent by God to Sidon to a widow who feeds him. And Rosie taught on this a few weeks ago. And this widow had very little because they were experiencing a drought. But God provided again. And she had a jar of oil and a jar of flour. And they never, ever ran out. Supernatural provision from God's. And it's just a a little snapshot here. At the beginning of King Ahab's reign, beginning of Elijah's ministry, that the living God provides. The dead God does nothing. That's the little snapshot that we find ourselves in. And the living God is showing himself in a crisis. He is the God who brings life in a crisis. In a drought, the flour and the oil don't run out. He brings provision when pressure comes. So we're going to read from 1 Kings 17, 17 to 24, which Dan has very helpfully put up behind us, or you can read in your Bible. And it says, after this, so after the the whole thing with the jar of flour and oil, after this, um, the son of the woman, so this is the same lady with the jar of flour and oil, uh, the mistress of the house became ill, uh, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You've come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God's and that the word of the Lord is in your, in your mouth is truth. So pressure, crisis, it reveals you. 
Not only that, if you allow it to, that pressure can form you, actually, can bring you closer to God's. And pressure arrives in this story in a very dramatic way, in a very real way, with the death of a child. Okay, this is not just a bad morning. This is the death of a son. This is a big moment. And this moment reveals what's going on with this lady and actually begins to form her as well and change her. And it also reveals and forms Elijah a little bit as well. And, and let's think about how this happened. Well, firstly, how did, how did this mistress, how did this lady deal with the pressure of what was going on? Well, she blames God. That's her first thing that happens. She says, what have you against me, O man of God? You've come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. It's a lashing out is the first thing that happens. This mistress of the house, she experiences very deep pressure and she starts to point the finger. And remember what has happened. She has seen God provide in miraculous, supernatural ways. She has seen those, that flour of oil and that, uh, that jar of oil and, uh, and flour have never emptied. So she's seen God's work, a miracle, a powerful miracle. He has already shown them, look, I am the God of life. When there's a drought, I keep you in food. I keep you provided for. I can sustain you. This lady and her son had already come close to death, already come close to death by starvation, and God brought them out of it using Elijah. And then this other big moment comes along and she is searching for reasons. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Our memories are very short, often in a crisis. You always think, oh, if God would work a miracle, I'm going to remember that, change my whole life forever. But actually, our memories can be very short. Things can be great, God can provide, and then the next incident, issue, whatever comes along, and and it's easy for us to forget what God has done for us. And she is searching for reasons. Why is this happening? And life life can come at you pretty fast, can't it, sometimes? Challenging things can pile up on top of each other. You can feel like you've got through one phase and then the next thing comes at you, or sometimes numbers of things come at the same time. And sometimes uh, this... Crisis or pressure can be over quickly. Sometimes it's a long time. It can really stay with you. We often find that in these moments, people try to understand. They try to extract meaning and purpose or even to explain what these events are and maybe do what this woman did, kind of point the finger and and blame and deflect it away. A good friend of mine, he uh, wanted to move to Canada what he wanted to do and he worked uh, really hard he saved loads and loads of cash he managed to get himself a visa went through the whole process of that then he got himself a good job lined up as well uh, in a really good city he was really excited and he got himself to Canada with the plans and it was like yeah I think I'm I think I might live here the rest of my life because this is a fascinating uh, country I'm I'm really excited by this and he moved there and he arrived in February 2020 And you know any story that starts with February 2020 is going to go badly wrong quite quickly. And that's exactly what happened to him. He he found himself alone in a city where he didn't know anybody in his flat on his own, locked in. All his plans fell to pieces very quickly. And there was a lot of disappointment, as there should be. 
I'm not, we don't say, look, just cheer up. You're a Christian. Nothing ever fazes you. He was deeply disappointed. And he had big questions to ask. And I remember talking with him about it. And he quickly realized there was no kind of grand narrative as to what had happened to him. There wasn't actually a great deal of meaning to extract from the situation. It was just rubbish. And it was an opportunity for him to trust God and worship God, even though it was rubbish. And he's a good guy, and that's what he did. In this moment, this woman, Elijah, hears her desperation, hears her complaints, hears her anguish, and notice what he doesn't do. And this is a good one for us to remember when perhaps we have friends or family in moments like this. He doesn't correct her. He doesn't say, oh, we shouldn't blame God for this. Or so he shouldn't blame me. I'm just the prophet or this, you know, just keep praying and everything will be fine. Doesn't do anything like that. He doesn't correct her. He doesn't defend God either. Now, I think in this, we can see that when disaster strikes, as it will, you are allowed to be an absolute mess. Actually, I think it's quite important that we allow ourselves to get into that phase, to ask questions, to say ridiculous things in those moments. Actually, that is what pressure uh, does to us. But we don't stay there. So what does Elijah do when pressure comes to him? Undoubtedly. Imagine what he feels in this situation. There's this woman who uh, he lives with, stood in front of him holding a dead child. That would be some pressure. And what does he do? He just says, look, give me a son. And he took him into, um, from her arms, carrying him to the upper chamber where he lodged. So what did he do? Well, he looked for God. He takes this disaster to God and actually almost physically does that. It's an activity, isn't he? He physically carries the boy's body to God. And it's an incredible picture. You can imagine him slowly walking up the stairs, carrying what would have been a weight, slowly walking upwards and uh, carrying the weight of this family, of uh, this poor woman's hopes and dreams and uh, plans for the future and all of those things, all of her mourning and her anguish and her suffering. He's carrying it upstairs, slowly but surely, towards God. When we read this, I wonder if we can remember how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Actually, when he taught his disciples to pray, he said, look, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't know if Jesus was thinking about Elijah when he taught them that, but there is, a, there is a kind of a hint of it there, isn't it? As Elijah carries the boy upstairs, he's going into his room. He is going into secret where it's just him and the Father in heaven. He's gone looking for God. When crisis comes, when pressure comes, go looking for God. And actually, God becomes easier to find when you go looking for him, like, often. You know where to find him. I'm not trying to be mystical like God's only in one cupboard of the house or anything like that. And he's a bit hidden and he's cheeky and we need to work hard to find him. I don't think that at all. But actually, this was his habit. Why, this was the first thing he said. He wasn't, oh, let's have a sit down and think. Oh, where's the doctor? Um, let's do chest compressions, anything like that. His first thing was, I know what I need to do. I need to do this because I've done this many times before. When difficulty comes, 
my habit is I go to God. And that's what he was. He was a man who went and found God. He's no one special, Elijah. That's how he's described in the book of James. He's, he's a human just like all of us. All he knew was that in good times and in bad times, you go and find God. You walk up the stairs. You go to the room that's just yours. You go in secret to your father. Now, if I could convince all of CCM to do one thing, just one thing, nothing else, I would convince you to do this, to as often as you possibly can every day, to go to a room to find God every day. Go read your Bible. Go pray. It will change you, utterly change you. Because when pressure comes, when crisis comes, you'll know what to do you'll know, okay, I need to go to that room. I need to go to that place. I need to go and find God. What else does Elijah do? Well, he looks for God. When he gets to God, he's incredibly honest with God. He says, he cried to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I live by killing her son? So the, the question that she was asking of him, he's now going to God and saying, is this you? Have you done this? He doesn't approach God with kind of politeness. He doesn't go into kind of butter up God with a few nice prayers. I'll read a good psalm that is nice about God for a bit. Then perhaps I'll work up to asking the difficult questions. He just batters straight in. He asks God why. We worship a, a living God. So what, this is what this story is about. You ask the god Baal, this false god, this other thing that he, um, Ahab is trying to convince people to live for. You ask God Baal anything and he won't hear you because he can't hear or see. He's dead. And we worship a living God. Living God can hear our questions, can hear our, our anguish, can hear our shouts, can hear our joy as well. And he can answer them. Now, you may not get the answer that you want. He's not the great slot machine in the sky, but he will listen and he will answer. And Elijah asks a, a difficult and direct question, doesn't he? Have you bought calamity? I wonder if sometimes we turn God into a quite thin-skinned, oversensitive father one that gets a bit annoyed with us a bit quickly if we ask these difficult questions. But actually, God wants to hear these questions. He wants to, to hear these moments of calamity. Because Elijah actually is asking one of the deepest questions that we ask often, that many people ask. In fact, our non-Christian friends might ask us this question. Why is there death and suffering? That's what he's asking with a dead child. It's very profound. It's a very stark question, isn't it? Why is this happening? What well, seems completely random? A moment ago, you were providing food for us and suddenly death is in the house. Why is this happening? I've been uh, talking to a, a friend in Ukraine. And, sorry. Mm. He... Uh, yeah, it's really interesting talking to him. He describes, he was trying to describe to me what the whole nation felt. And he's quite well connected, so he knows lots of people in lots of towns and cities in Ukraine. And he says, it's a permanent terror, is what it feels like. 
And you would imagine this is what the, uh, the people of Syria felt and any number of other nations that are experiencing war at the moment. But there is a sense of terror in just simply not knowing where the next missile goes because it seems completely random. And his own family as well, permanent turmoil for months. He said, Tim, I haven't had a day off in, well, since the Russians invaded. There aren't many people that can say that, can you? Sometimes you feel like you have a long month at work, but it never begins with, I'm a bit tired since the Russians invaded. But that is the life that they live at the moment. And when you hear these stories, the only question you can ask really is why. And if you don't ask it, you're perhaps being a little bit neglectful. Why on earth? Why is this happening? And it's at this moment (laughs) that we really, you have to grapple with the difficulty of the world, don't you? Truly. And in that moment, that's where we see God answer. And it's not meant to be easy and simple. See, we were talking just this week about people who were part of the church, but when uh, COVID and crisis came, they very quickly left and, and didn't come back. And they didn't really go anywhere. Well, actually, they weren't able to grapple with the difficulty of the world. Actually, it's important that you do. And in those moments, actually, there's a cue, there's a clue and see how God answers. And actually, there's a huge clue in this story. As he asks this difficult question, this kid's on the bed, and then it says, he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried, my Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. Now, at first glance, you read this thing, that's, a, that's an unusual thing to do. Okay, Maybe get on your knees next to the beds, Uh, Maybe call a prayer meeting, maybe get the WhatsApp chain going, whatever it might be. It is an odd thing to do. Why does he do this? Actually, in the book of Numbers, Numbers 19, it says, whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean for seven days. So Elijah is so desperate to see life return. He makes himself unclean. He doesn't just touch... The body kind of once laying on a hand, he lies on this kid three times, makes himself unclean. And unclean doesn't mean it's just a bit gross. It means you can't get into the presence of God. You cannot go into the temple. You're not holy and pure. It means God won't look at you. Actually, this is for us a picture of Jesus in this story. So Elijah stretches himself out, but Jesus was stretched out on a cross. And when he did that, he took on all of the uncleanness. All the uncleanness of creation, all that is broken in the world. So Elijah was dealing with just this one kid, asking this one question of why this has happened to this one kid. But Jesus is asking that question of all of creation, all of humanity, all of that, the world's uncleanness, all of mine, all of yours. In that moment, Jesus took it upon himself. And Jesus, perhaps like Elijah did, knew this, this was the only way. This was an act of, of being desperate. And actually, this story of Elijah is the first time we see resurrection in the Bible. And it is a massive signpost forward, saying that evil, injustice, suffering, sickness, droughts, all of the pain that we experience with, all that we grapple with which doesn't quite seem right, 
They are the symptoms of death. They are. They are the symptoms of evil in the world. And Elijah, in his own small, compact little way, goes up against death, goes up against evil. And finally we see verse 22. What did God do? God listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah is clearly highly motivated at this moment. This is amazing. So he takes the child downstairs and Elijah says, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God's and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. The living God brings life where we see death. These dead gods that are worshipped in Israel at this time, they do nothing. They can't bring life where there is death. Actually, the things that we worship now that aren't the living gods, the things that perhaps we devote our lives to, whether that's ourselves, our own sense of purpose and identity, whether it's the love of money, whatever it might be, those things don't bring life. Only the living God does that. The living God actually revives He's a God that heals, a God that calls people back to him. And actually, we need the living God to move today in exactly this way, to bring life where there is actually only death. Perhaps we can look at our city. Perhaps we look at the the lives of our friends who, who don't follow Jesus. Perhaps we see people who are sick or suffering in the world. And we are called to go and do like Elijah did. Go find God's, to beg him to revive and to restore. And then realise, actually, that we are called to play our part in that. Actually, when we are called in to pray, it's fascinating, isn't it? Elijah goes upstairs, he goes and prays, and what is the result? The result is that he is called to do something. He is called to step into this kid's story, this woman's story, and play his part and bring God into their lives. I think we are called to that as well.